Welcome once again to another wacky and zany episode of Indie Comics. I am your host, Jeff, and I'm pretty sure you've heard me a time or two on the Grand Geek Gathering Network, on many a spot, and any of the other shows you've had the pleasure of listening to. Now, what we are looking at today, we are straight at San Diego Comic-Con itself, and boy, are we tired. No, literally, we are exhausted. And we have been interviewing like crazy, and that is what we are going to be looking at and showcasing for you are some... some interviews that we have provided with various creators, whether in the independent or big two industry, as well as getting some insight into what their entire inspirations were growing up, their artistic style, how they felt about the con, and generally what they feel geekdom is to them. So enjoy these interviews that we have set up for you in the meantime to have for your listening pleasure, and come next week we will be back on a regular programming schedule. Have a good one, everybody, and enjoy. Live from Comic-Con, here is Jeff, and this is Indie Comics, and we are going to be interviewing Madeline Holly Rosing today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure here. How are you doing so far today? Well, I'm starting to get a little tired. This is the fifth day here at, uh, at San Diego, so we're all getting a little worn down, but we're still excited to be here. Oh, definitely, definitely. This is my one and my only day here, so, you know, you got four days on me right here so far, and... Considering that I'm already running on fumes, I think you're much more ahead of the game than I am right yeah, now. Yeah, you're a little fresher than I am at A this little point. bit fresher, <laughs> maybe just a little bit. But anyway, it's a pleasure to have you on our show today. And um, so what is some current stuff that you are working on right now that could be of interest to those that are looking into finding something other than the big two? Well, I'm the writer-creator of the steampunk comic Boston Metaphysical Society. And for those of you who don't know what it's about, it's about an ex-Pinkerton detective and his spirit photographer partner who battles supernatural forces in late 1800s Boston. Think steampunk X-Files. Now that sounds incredibly intriguing. You got the sci-fi right there. You got kind of a Ghostbusters kind of thing going right yes, there. Yes, I do. And you got the Victorian steampunk. I mean, what is not to love about this title, guys? And um, who is the main prote protagonist in this story? Uh, Samuel Hunter, who is the ex-Pinkerton detective. Uh, it's actually a team of three. Uh, Caitlin O'Sullivan is the medium spirit photographer. Okay. And the science and tech guy is Granville Woods. Interesting, interesting. And they just go around solving these ghostly type mysteries around Victorian-era Boston? Well, this particular series, it's a uh, six-issue miniseries. Okay, it's a miniseries. It is a miniseries uh, for this particular story arc. And uh, in each issue, they do have a case to solve, but there's an overarching, what I call, big bad that doesn't get resolved until uh, issue six. Oh, okay, so the ultimate issue is where it all really unfolds. That's then. where, yeah, Interesting. Ev everything does. We're, now, cur we're currently up to chapter five, and my artist is, uh, my artist, by the way, is Emily Hugh, and she's fantastic. Interesting. Uh, and uh, she's currently working on uh, chapter six. In fact, I just got page number four in at some weird hour last night while I was asleep. She tends to do that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, that's the artist way. You know, they got the owl kind of hours going on, so yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised at that. But um, how has it been overall working on this so far? I mean, is this like is this like a dream come true working on something like this? Is this something that you've really wanted to pursue for some time? Well, I never realized. Well, I've been writing for a long time. I, I uh, have an MFA in screenwriting from UCLA, oh. and uh, this story actually started as a TV pilot that I wrote well, I was there, oh, okay. and it was suggested that it would make a good comic. So I adapted it into a six-issue miniseries, and along the way discovered that I really like writing comics. Uh, so I, I, I'm late to the party here. Uh, I've been involved in comics now for about three years, okay. and uh, love it, love the community, love the steampunk community. They've, everyone's just been awesome. 
as opposed now what kind of delineation would you make would you make as opposed to screenwriting which do you think is more preferable you think at, when you were developing this which what are the clear differences that you see between that and when you were doing it as a as a as a script well since i'm self publishing it obviously as a, a comic and I have control over everything. Oh, okay. it's, a, it's a lot easier to get it out there as right. opposed to waiting for someone else to say yes. Uh, definitely. Yeah. So you're pretty much, you you are the final authority here, which yes. is why this is the very heart of the matter that I was talking with you folks several weeks ago, actually. In this age of independent comics, guys, you have creator-owned creator owned stuff, and that's exactly what she is doing here. She is the mm -hmm. final say in what goes on, so you got the final say, so that's definitely something good, and you don't have someone that's over your shoulder just waiting for you to edit say, no, write it like this or do something like that. So do you see that as, as an advantage in your favor then? Uh, absolutely. Um, of course, that doesn't mean you don't have other people, like oh, you sure. have a small writer's group you know, who reviews your material, you know, gives you notes, you know, you rewrite. I mean, writing is writing no matter what medium you're doing it. it, it it's, writing is rewriting, That's, that is it. No matter if you're in comics, screenwriting, prose, it doesn't matter. Constantly, re constantly rewriting, it's never yes. finished, really. That's absolutely, what until is you have to finish. <laughs> oh, you have to finish, but the f fact of the matter is, people, no matter how much you do, there's always something that can be improved. Absolutely. And that's what I, that's what, speaking from experience here as well. What has been the most challenging thing about this particular miniseries so far? I mean, has there been anything that's been really a challenge to you, something that seems to still evade you or something that you just can't seem to, to figure out? Has there been, like, any real any real block in the road here? Uh, I think the only real block is time. And uh -huh. it takes a long time to produce a quality comic. And... Uh, I do have to wait on other people's schedules because yeah, people have to make a living. And though everyone, I, everyone on my team gets paid, they also have to take on other work. And so everything has to fit into other people's schedules. So nothing ever gets finished as quickly as I would like it, but it does get finished. Well, that's good. That's good. It seems like you have a good, a very good working rapport then with your artist, and it seems you oh, guys she, are, are real, great. Simpa yeah, real simpatico. Great. Yeah. yeah. Interesting, because I was looking at some of those issues right there. I see she gives us incredible amount of detail in what she does. Does she do the, the whole bit, the penciling and the inks or the coloring? Uh, she does the penciling. Uh, Gloria Colley from Stellar Labs does the okay. coloring. Um, it is a primarily female creative team, except for Troy Pateri, who's our letterer. Oh, interesting. And I'm we keep him because he's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, not just because, you know, you need a token ma male on no, the team no. or something. Troy or is awesome. We oh. keep him because he's awesome. Oh, that's great. That <laughs> is wonderful. Well, it, seem, it seems you really have yourself a good, effective team right there. Now, are you planning on having another miniseries come for this particular title after this is done? Or what are the future plans? Uh, future plans are, uh, well, I've been writing novellas and short stories, which okay. are now compiled in an anthology uh, based in the Boston metaphysical world. I will be doing novels at some point in time. Uh, as far as comics, anything after this will be one-offs, like 32 to 48 page Oh, like one a one-shot, basically. Yeah, one-shots, um, just because of you know time and finances. I mean, this ah. is you know, the last six issues have taken up three years of my life. Ah, okay. And, and, and I do have to do other things. So, oh, definitely. So, so in it, other it'll be smaller. In other words, you're not, you're not counting out the possibility of another one, but if there is going to be a future miniseries, you probably just have to bide your time and make sure that you can actually... Yes. Be able to finish it up in due yes. time because, like you said, three three years is no small small time to That's commit correct. to something. Yeah. yeah. But the way I'm looking at it, would you consider this a labor of love of what you've done? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's been a great experience. Uh, 
loved working with uh, Emily and Gloria and Troy and within the comics community. I've had some great mentors. Uh, I, I've, I, you know, I love being here, so it's it's all great. Well, that's awesome. Now, um, one second before you end it, uh, we're asking everybody, uh, what does geekdom mean to you? So sorry for springing that question on you. That'll be, that, that'll be I, a, that'll be our final question because uh, it seems uh, we're kind of wrapping that yeah. up. Yeah, yes, it we'll sounded like it. That's why I wanted yeah. to throw that out there before you said, "Oh, and that was enough." And that's it. And that's that's your sorry. All right. Are, are are you are you done now, editor? <laughs> are you done? done. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we are just about wrapping it up here. Sounds very good, people. I would highly recommend this, especially if you're a steampunk fan like I am, and especially if you love Victorian-type history, and if you love Pinkertons, even though they were kind of dicks back in the day. But, hey, can't really, you, can't, you can't, can't really complain about that. I mean, what's past is past. So in wrapping this up, I have one final question to give to you, Madeline. Okay. What does geekdom mean to you? I... I guess it would mean just being who you are, you know, that not worrying about what other people think you should be liking, but like what you like and enjoy what you enjoy. Not be, uh, not be afraid to be who you are then. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's what's so fun about being at a Comic-Con. and You see the mashups and the costumes and all the different kind of artwork. I mean, there's something for everyone. And I think that's kind of the point. Oh, I could not agree more. That is exactly what it is, guys. Geekdom at its finest is being who you want to be. Well, Madeline, I really appreciated this, and we definitely uh, will get this up soon. And it was a pleasure interviewing you today. Thank you for having me on the show. And for everybody that uh, wants to have that title again, what is it called again? Uh, Boston Metaphysical Society. Boston Metaphysical Society. Six issue miniseries. The next one is coming out pretty soon. End of the year. End of the year. And I highly recommend it, guys. Go get it. Thank you. All right, here is another interview, guys. Speaking from uh, Comic-Con International 2015, I am Jeff with Indie Comics with Jeff. And with us today is... Gabe el -Tayim. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here, Gabe. And um, in midst of you working on this nice Chun-Li piece, it looks like right now, very beautiful, by the way, to my wonderful, beautiful audience, uh, we are just going to conduct some questions for you right now and, see, and get some insight about what you, what you think. So, first of all, how's your San Diego Comic-Con 2015 been so far? It's been excellent. My wife and family comes with me, and uh, for those who don't know who I am, I work for DC Comics and Dark Horse and Image. I work on Green Arrow currently, Martian Manhunter, uh, Barbed Wire's just relaunched. I work on a lot of stuff, and uh, Comic-Con's just amazing. The fans are amazing. And the after-hour stuff with all the editors and the, my colleagues and all the dinners, and it's, a highlight. it's just the highlight of the year. It's just a real treat to do all this stuff. So I am having a blast. I'm sad this thing is over like in two, three hours, right? Something like that, so... Yeah, I'm just having a great time, and I'm working on this commission for a fan, uh, and that's the one thing, the relationships you build with fans. This uh, particular gentleman, his name is Scott Guerin, he's uh, had me draw stuff year after year for him. So I've drawn stuff before. These are original characters, I think, for some video game that he's into or something like that. I'm not sure what it's for, but he actually made up the this female that I'm illustrating here. So, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. What has been um, the... If you had to name one event so far, what was the highlight of, of, of this Comic-Con for you? What was probably the biggest thing that made it definitely memorable for you? How will this one stand out above the rest because of what happened? Well, uh, every year, Robert Kirkman, nobody throws a party like them. They uh, had a big party on the, the Western Metal Supply Building on the roof, like the Padres Baseball Stadium. That was amazing. That was Friday night. 
And, uh, and then the next night, they rent out the Harbor House restaurant. They do that every year. And that's just like all the creators and artists are there together. There probably were at least 100 of us or so last night. And that was a really special time last night. I really enjoy what Skybound, Robert Kirkman's company, does for uh, the freelancers that work for him. It's just such a warm, welcoming feeling. It's just, it feels really good to be appreciated like that. You know, on a, it's not just about the money and this and that. It's about the personal relationships you have. People slap you on the back and treat you like an old friend. It's really touching, I guess, is the best way I can put it. So, The recognition is definitely key then, it seems like. Now, um, while we're on the subject of looking at your artwork, especially with this beautiful piece, by which I will say, once again, it's quite gorgeous, what you have worked on so far. As far as artistic influences that have come to, come to you, who would you say stand out among your influences in artwork that helped develop your style? Well, um, the first com I, I was aware of comic books growing up, and the first comic book I saw that blew my mind was X-Men number one by Jim Lee and Scott Williams, Chris Claremont, Joe Roses, Mike Heisler. Uh, all those guys worked on that. I think Tom Orchowski, I don't know how to say his last name, was the letterer. I think I got everyone. I saw that, I was like 12, my friend Sean had it. I saw it and I was like, what is this? And he's like, oh, it's a new X-Men comic. You know there were five different covers? It was the red one with the beast leaping over the rock. I just was blown away by the night. I didn't know drawings could be that cool. So starting that week, I've just been to the comic book store ever since, and I wanted to work for Jim Lee and like be, you know, his, and it's funny, Years later, after college and working at independent comics and this and that, Jim Lee personally hired me as the last artist they ever hired at Wildstorm before they moved it up to L.A. and all that. So I worked on staff at Wildstorm from 2008, the beginning of 8, until they closed in 10. And then when they closed in 10, I didn't want to move up to L.A. or anything like that. There were opportunities, and they were very gracious about giving opportunities if you wanted to continue with the company. But San Diego is my wife's hometown, and my kids grew up here, and they're in L uh, middle and high school. So we decided to stay here and I went freelance and freelance has been amazing. Because instead of just working for Wildstorm and DC, which I, that's the bulk of my work still, they're great to work for. I now work for Dark Horse and uh, Image Comics and other publishers too. So what was the original question there? What was the first comment? Well, well mo mo mostly just um, who, who would you consider your artistic influences, but definitely you named Jim Lee. This meandering way to say Jim Lee was my original influence. That was a very meandering way to say, well, pretty much it was Jim Lee, but you know what, I'll fluff it up. But you know what, I like your, the way that you put it, because it just shows you how, even at a young, tender age, sometimes even just a little bit of appreciative artwork can definitely put you on the right path. And I, swear, and I say it's been nothing but great, because you, sir, in my opinion, are one of the best um, colorists out there right now that, ju that, just seems to, that just seems to be pristine all the way. Now, in your career thus far, what would you say was probably the most challenging, probably most difficult challenge within, within comics artwork that you have done? What, what was probably most uh, just nerve-wracking for you to work on? Um, it, geez, I'm not, it sounds cocky, but that's a weird question. You have me stumped. I've never been afraid or worried or anything like that when I've gotten an assignment. Uh, I can't remember really being nervous. I mean, deadlines can be bad all the time. They're not bad all the time, but they can be bad at any company on any project. You don't know. It just kind of happens organically. But uh, I can tell you the ones I've liked the most. Um, and which ones were those? Well, the, the thing that got me into drawing, my earliest memories of drawing were Star Wars when I was about three in my grandparents' restaurant, drawing on butcher paper back in the kitchen. And then uh, I worked with Carlos Deonda at Wildstorm DC Comics, and we did Arkham City together. He illustrated and I color. I'm kind of Carlos Deonda's official colorist. And uh, he got contacted by 
Dark Horse to do that relaunch of Star Wars like three years ago. So Carlos told them he wanted me to color it. So getting to work on um, Star Wars, when that was the thing that started me to like to draw when I was a little kid, that was amazing. That's like a whole full circle thing. So I think that, and the first time, it was like Midnighter issue 11 or something like that was the first time I had my name in a DC comic. That was 2008 or 9 or something like that. So those were big moments that were really great for me, I guess. So, And I'm just, I'm hitting a stride now. I really love what I'm doing. I'm working on Green Arrow and Martian Manhunter and all that stuff. And it's just, now it's routine now. Now we're just kicking a lot of ass, you know. So I'm having a lot of fun with it. So. That's wonderful because I, if I recall right, uh, the reason why I raised that question to begin with, if like there's been anything really challenging for you, was I believe last year in a conversation I heard you talking with somebody about that you partially helped color the uh, World of Warcraft uh, series, and it, se and it seemed like you were kind of complaining about it, and I was wondering if you could probably elaborate a little bit on that. Not so much complaining because I'm grateful for all the work I have, but that one was difficult. It's funny you bring that up. Yeah, that one was difficult because... Um, we couldn't just, uh, and we shouldn't be able to, but we couldn't just color it the way we wanted to because obviously it's a licensed property. But if you've seen Warcraft artwork and the, the, all the rims and diamonds and the trim on the armor. And then, so, and I never played Warcraft. I didn't know anything about it. And uh, so I just kept going to the wikis and going to the website because we had to keep referencing it. So I guess that was, that's what I was complaining about, that it was... Not a bad thing, but it was just like, okay, I'm working now, I'm stopping now, I'm checking this website, is the color right? What color is this monster? What color is the gem on this guy's headpiece? And just, there was so much reference because, you know, that it's a, literally a world of Warcraft. So, yes, that one was a bit difficult because there was so much reference. So, yeah. And that's but grateful for the work nonetheless. <laughs> hey, we, hey, grateful whether it's difficult or whether it's easy, it's always good to have something to go on. I was especially intrigued by that story because I actually am a World of Warcraft fanatic. So that's why when I heard about your time with that, I was thinking like, hmm, I wonder why it was so difficult for him. But now it's now we have a fuller, we have a fuller, clearer story of just what happened there. Not so much that it was uh, only frustrating in the sense that he kept having to refer to existing material since you weren't actually familiar with it. But that makes sense, definitely. Now, as a final question, now this is something we've been putting to people all throughout the day, and we want to hear your take on it. What does geekdom mean to you? Um... Geekdom to me is, I think it's the freedom to just lean fully in to embrace the things that make you happy, the things that turn you on creatively, whether that be music or visual art or movies. Uh, all the comic book artists I know and the ones I get to know, you know, it's an eclectic a mix of, but it's all art that they love. Everyone loves movies and everyone is into their kind of music and this and that. So I think it's like Geekdom, you can be unashamed and just kind of like, you know what? Because you saw Mad Max, right? I've seen it four times, and what's so groundbreaking to me about that movie, besides just the quality of the filmmaking, is they didn't give a crap about, is this nerdy, or is this cool, or acceptable, because it was so off-the-wall bananas, and you could just tell the creators of that movie, which is like, no, this is Mad Max, this is this insane world, and if you think it's corny or whatever, too bad. We're going to just full speed ahead, we're going crazy with this thing. And I think that's something that comics and pop culture can do for people. It's like you want to be Jon Snow and wear a crow cape and come to Comic-Con to be a lunatic like that? I love it. You know what I mean? It's just, you can come. What's the saying from the 60s? Let your freak flag fly. You know what I mean? So that's the thing I think is great about this. And I think the cosplaying is a neat addition to these things because the fans can get in and feel like they're part of it too. They're not just, oh, we're the cool artists and you stand over there, the fans. You know, the, the cosplay stuff and all that. 
gives the fans a chance to be a little bit of the show themselves. So, yeah, that's what it means to me. Just what you're into artistically, you can just go full force and embrace it. No shame in it, you know? No shame nowadays, which is exactly how it should have been all along. Well, that is wonderful. That's exactly what we wanted to hear. And straight from Jeff from Indie Comics, we are signing off now with Gabriel Taib giving his wonderful information. All right, Jeff here again with Indie Comics, and today we have... Carl Altstetter. Oh, how you doing, Carl? I'm doing really well. I made it uh, to Sunday at Comic-Con, so I'm and how long And how long have you been here so far? I have been here since Wednesday. Oh, so you did the full stretch, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Are you running on fumes right now? you feeling tired? Are uh, you about at the end of your rope? or how's No, that going? I mean, you kind of feed off the energy at the convention, so um, I'm good. Yeah? But um, we'll see how I am at 5 o'clock when i got to pack up. Yeah. Uh, so it may finally start catching up to you by the end, huh? Yeah, it might. Yeah. Has there, any bit, has there been any important highlights so far for your San Diego Comic-Con 2015 experience? Anything that stands out that makes this particularly memorable? Uh, well, uh, I've been surrounded by some awesome creative people. Uh, Ramona on this side, David on this side. And that's one of the highlights for me is getting to see all the other artists, catch up with them, see what they're working on. And it's, it's real inspirational. You know, after every Comic-Con, I end up going back and thinking, like, wow, I need to, to really try a lot harder. Right. So it's exciting in that way. I bet there's also an element of nostalgia there, too, you know, especially meeting ones back in the day. and you know. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that, that's the thing about Comic-Con. I mean, you, it's like um, <laughs> I, was, I made a joke that it's almost like New Year's Eve where you, you have that kind of thing where you think about everything you've uh, done or you think about what happened in the last year. But the interesting thing about this is that you're surrounded by a lot of people that you've worked with or that you're currently working with. So it's uh, it's almost like a, your whole timeline all in one room. Oh, that's, that's, that's great to hear like that. Now on this whole subject of nostalgia, let's go ahead and let's get some questions uh, asked here, if you'd be so willing. Okay. Now, um, I remember back in the day when you were on the Extreme Studios with, uh, with, with, uh, with Image and... Uh, uh -huh. Do you consider that pretty much to be a real shining moment for you, a real defining moment in your in your in your comics career? How would you how would you rate that as far as your development as an artist and and well, a creator? Well, um, you know, I I started when I started Extreme, I'd already spent a lot of years um, working for Homage Studios, yeah. so I'd worked with um, all that group prior to that. So by the time I got to Extreme, it was a little more of an opportunity to show what I was capable of doing on my own. And so uh, Rob Liefeld was good enough to give me an opportunity to do a monthly comic, which was Bloodstrike, and, um, and to take it in a really different direction. And that, that's what was cool about it. it. It already established itself one way, and he was basically said, hey, here's the idea I have in mind. What can you do with it? And uh, that allowed me to be sort of show the kind of the creativity I had and was capable of. That's awesome that he would give you that opportunity. It seems like under Extreme Studios, you really had your moment to shine and, you know, stand on your own two feet and really show what, 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 you, had, what you were capable of. Yeah, definitely. Um, I look back at it now and, uh, you know, like with every artist, you look back and say, oh, I wish I could have done this. I wish I could have done that. But at that period of time in comics, when a lot of people were reading comics, a lot of people were buying comics, it was a great time to get that chance. So is comics like the the redone Bloodstrike that's coming out, is that kind of like perhaps a nod to us adoring fans that we may be seeing a return to Extreme Studio days? Maybe not maybe not in uh, officiality, but kind of like as an unofficial kind of thing? 
Well, um, I did a cover for it, a variant cover for it, which was a lot of fun to revisit the character. Um, you know, every show I go to, I always have people bringing those books up, and, and there seems to be a, a real passionate fan base for those. So uh, getting a chance to do a new variant cover, that was great for me, just to be able to go back and say, hey, what can I do now with the character? Where can you take it from here, pretty much? That, right. sound, that, sound, that sounds just wonderful. Now, um, as far as artistic influences, this is something that's always intrigued me. I always love listening to who has influenced artists. Now, what would you say would be your artistic influences as you were developing your style? Who really influenced you? Well, um, some of my biggest influences were the guys who I started with. So, you know, like Wills Portacio, he, he spent a lot of time working with me early on and he gave me a, a, a lot of feedback but he also you know he showed me a lot of theory not just hey this is how I draw it was more this is how drawing is done and uh, that kind of opened my mind to seeing art and approaching art in a different way he was great about that uh, Scott Williams Joe Chido Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld, of course, he was great too, you know. So it's safe to say that the image revolutionaries definitely were, uh, were, were a shining influence on you during those, during those early 90s years, huh? Yeah, uh, but I was also really influenced by a lot of Japanese artists, like uh, Masamune Shiro and okay. Katsuhiro Tomo, and uh, the way they design stuff, but also the way they approach staging. Uh, that was a big influence on me, like how they told a story, uh, which is really different than American comics, but it's also very cinematic. And that was, uh, movies really influenced the way I wanted to tell stories. Oh, that's but wonderful. But I just wanted to tell them in a bigger way. Ah, bigger you and know. better. That's always the way to go about it. <laughs> now, speaking of bigger and better, are there any big things that we can look forward to you in the, in the upcoming future? Yeah, um, I'm working on issue two of Me Too, my comic book, okay. um, which is about a girl uh, with multiple personalities and each one of her personalities has its own superpower and then I'm finishing up Emerald City Blues which is uh, my kind of postmodern take on the Wizard of Oz oh that's and so wonderful I'm finishing the fourth issue with that and uh, I have a couple other little things um, that I might be revisiting but I can't really talk about it yet but uh, if you follow me online I'll be posting that news when it comes out of course I follow you online man you're one of my good buds so you know I'm always going to be checking out what you do I appreciate that now here is one that we definitely have been asking people throughout uh, Comic Con all throughout the weekend here now posing this question to you uh huh what does geek uh, what does geekdom mean to you ah that's a really good question um well I think geekdom has evolved over the years uh, when I first got into doing comics and into that whole the kind of geek culture, um, it was it was so, it was sort of a thing where um, people who weren't accepted by other groups and had these kind of sort of you know interests, this is where they went. Now geekdom is more of it's a lot more inclusive and a lot larger, and I think that's the best part about it. It is it's something like hey. Uh, you know, you like anime, you're welcome. You like comic books, you're welcome. You like pop culture in general, you like toys, you like... It, it just encompasses so many of the fringe things that by bringing all those small pieces together, it's created a really large group. And that's what I think is great about it. Very, inclu very inclusive, in other yeah. words. Not really something that makes us makes us feel like we're an outsider anymore, but we're, we feel part of the group once again. Yeah, and, and I don't know if it's so much 
geek culture as much as it is just creative culture. Ah. Which is that people who like creativity in its various forms, whether it be a movie, a novel, a comic book, a toy, this is where they come to find creativity. Uh, and, and also it's where they come to find more independent voices. Uh, you know, a lot of the corporations, they're present here, but if you want to find something different or you want to find an artist that can sort of uh, maybe speak to the unique thing you're into, this is the place where you'll probably find them. It's wonderful. It's wonderful, especially in an era which I consider to be kind of like a golden age of independent comics, for instance, with so much creator-owned stuff right now. Oh, yeah. What, what would your take be on that? Do you think we are in the midst of a golden age right now of independent comic uh, uh, cre creator-owned type, uh, type stuff right now? Do you yeah. think we're kind of in the midst of that? Yeah, it's it's. I think what's interesting about it is is that I came in in a unique time, and that I came in during the beginning of the image boom. Right. And I think there was a lot of discussion at that time about what that was going to mean to comic books over time. And even then, people were talking about, well, hey, this is going to be this way to empower creative people and allow them to create ideas that aren't automatically owned by a larger company. And so that was discussed even then. But now we're seeing where that's really come to the forefront. And you're seeing all these creators who they maybe get their start working for uh, one of the bigger companies, and then they come to Image, and they put their books out, and they're able to own it and exploit it the way that they want to exploit it right. and have it be presented in the fashion they want it to be presented in. And that's where I hope, ultimately, where all of this is going, is that independent creative, creative people are the ones who control the destiny of the things that they create. And I think uh, before there were gatekeepers, there were people who'd say, well, in order to allow you access to the public, uh, you need to give me a portion of what you've created. And I think once that's removed, you're gonna see more of a pure connection between the people who enjoy work and the people who create work. And that, as a creator, I think that's how it should be. I don't think just because you have money that allows access, that you should be allowed ownership of it. I think people that create it should own it, and then the people that enjoy it, their ownership comes through the value they get from experiencing it. I could not agree more. This is wonderful. Well, you have heard it straight from the great source here, Carl Altstetter, and this is Jeff signing off for GGG. Thanks for tuning in. You can check out our other shows and offerings available on iTunes and podbean.com. Please rate and review us. Please send any comments or questions to grandgeekgathering at gmail.com. Stay updated and informed by following us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch TV. This show has been brought to you by the Grand Geek Gathering Network. And GGG! -G -G -G!